Pick a Music Festival here in the Southeast, and Barry Corder will tell you plenty about it. Barry is entertainment writer and columnist for the Chattanooga Times Free Press. He covered the return of Riverbend the weekend before last, and he's getting ready for this year's Bonnaroo, which runs Thursday through Sunday on the farm in Manchester, Tennessee. Barry, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, always. Riverbend this year, how'd you see it? By just about all accounts that I can think of, it was a success. I thought Mickey McCamish, the executive director, his quote in the story on the follow-up about no arrests, obviously you know everything else that's going on. That would be a big deal for any river bend, but to happen, the timing as it did, is a huge deal. But not just that, they sold all of their wristbands, all 15,000. The things that stood out to me... Not only did they sell all those, but the crowds came early each day and stayed late. So you had the same audience basically bouncing from stage to stage, which was the design. They cut it from five stages to three, with the two main ones being Coke and Budweiser, and they played off of each other. When one show ended, the other would start. So the audience would turn around and mosey down the the road. And they did in past years, and, and, and I really hesitate to compare because they're completely different but the layout was just different it wasn't set up that way you would have people who would see a show and then wander off and hang out or whatever but they didn't bounce around so the barge long gone thank you not a fan never was a fan (laughs) of the barge glad to see it go not only did it eliminate what i think was the worst stage in the country by taking it away it also took away a lot of the infrastructure around it so that when you were down there this time, you actually could see the river. And the river was a big, big part of that beautiful setting. So that was big. Gave you room to spread out if you wanted to. If you wanted to get up close to the stage, that was another big thing. Couldn't do that with the barge. And so there was a disconnect with the audience and the acts. It was always, it came up every year. And this just felt like the fans were part of the show. In fact, I had several people say that. You could really feel the energy. If you saw Grace Potter, man, she was into the crowd, and it came back. Same with Cage the Elephant. You could really see what they talk about, the feeding off of each other. So, yeah, I think it was a a big, big success. I already talked to Mike Dewar and Chris Cobb, the two guys who booked it. They're already worried about being able to equal that next year. (laughs) You're only as good as the last lineup that you put out there. Riverbend competes with all the other festivals in the country for acts. And they don't have, you know, a C3 or a Live Nation behind them. So they're kind of an independent operator. And so they're out there competing with the big boys. And out there competing as other festivals have been coming back. That's right. A lot of them. There are a lot. What Riverbend did was sort of retool itself into what I would call a boutique festival. I know a lot of people wanted to call it Moon River Light. Did it feel that way? Not to me. It's a completely different lineup in some ways, but in other ways it felt more similar than Riverbend and Moon River did, if that makes sense. Partly because of the crowd, partly because of the smaller stages, but also the lineup. I had several people notice, I call it lanes. It felt like going back to the fact that the audience got there early and would stay for all the acts. That's on purpose if you can do it. You don't get the same acts, but you don't get acts that are so dissimilar that if you're a fan of Nico Moon, you're not going to go running because the next act is Grace Potter. You know what I mean? 
that they're similar enough that you may not be a fan of one or the other initially, but they're not going to be so dissimilar that it would run you off. They all are meant to flow together. Correct. It's designed that way. They pushed it a little bit, I think. Hard to compare Brothers Osborne, maybe, or Tanya Tucker to Cage the Elephant, but it was close enough. <laughs> and they were entertaining enough, for sure. I understand Tanya Tucker had an amazing time. She was so happy to be there and was pouring shots of tequila for the front row. And that's fun. They did it right. The uh, I would call it an experiment with Leslie Jordan, our actor, comedian, author. And Grand Marshal. And first time, Grand Marshal. I, I know people have questioned whether, the, I, I can't remember another Grand Marshal. There might have been one, certainly not for all, every day, I don't think. And certainly no one like Leslie. Um, <laughs> he had a ball. I talked to him a little bit. I mean, he, he really appreciated it. And there's some debate, depending on who you ask, whether it was dumb luck or coincidence that the people on the lineup were familiar to him because they had performed at the Grand Ole Opry with him or on the part of his album. And so that was part of the reason why he was excited to be here, is he literally knew, like Warren Treaty and Tanya. And so they did a little impromptu gospel thing on Sunday. Those are the kinds of things, I use the phrase fan experience, and those are the kinds of things that are what I mean. Not necessarily that you saw a good show or a favorite show, but that when you got there, people were nice. And people have always been nice at Riverbend. The staff does a great job, the volunteers. But those are the things you remember. Did I have to stand in line very long? Like one of my family members, for example, had a one-year-old who was having a hunger meltdown. And so one of the city police let him crawl around on his four-by-four to distract him while food was being prepared. Those are those little kind of things that... You'll remember that you'll take home and, and it'll be a good experience. Talk to me about Bonnaroo. I'm very curious. It's been two years. My understanding, and I have not anybody dispute me yet, is that the ticket sales are anywhere from twenty five to 30000 as opposed to the 80000 that is normal. I went in 2016 when it was closer to 50000 Seemed like a big, big deal at the time. Like, oh, what's wrong? There was all those questions. But... Most of the people who were, who were there in 2016 will tell you it was one of the greatest Bonnaroo's ever because it was great lineup. The weather was good. Everybody that was there wanted to be there, which is typical of Bonnaroo. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Who are you planning to pay particular attention to up there on the farm? Robert Plant and Allison Krauss. Anytime you can see them, you got to. Herbie Hancock, Stevie Nicks, Goose, King Gizzard. We've been going through on our podcast, we've been going through the list. Friday is a pretty busy day. That's always one of the issues is the conflicts. Friday's the busiest day as far as that goes for me. There's a whole lot of other people. They've put a big, big emphasis on EDM, which I like well enough, but it's kind of like some other genres where it's good for about three or four songs and then I'm ready to move on. But I'm planning on seeing as much of that as I can just because they put so much emphasis on it. I kind of want to see what the big deal's about. Seeing the shows, that's one experience. And then just being up there, yeah, that's a whole other experience entirely. They have created a culture there. that I would say of the people that are going, the ones that are repeat, 
it's the culture. It's just what you were talking about. It's the community. They're going with the same people they've been going with, plus maybe people that are sick and tired of hearing them talk about it 365 days of the year. So now they want to experience it themselves. That's definitely a huge part of it. You and I have talked about this before. It's a camping experience. It's not like a river bend where you drop in, see the axe you want, you go home. You're there. You're there with people, and it creates this camaraderie. We're all hot. We're all sweaty. We all stink. But we're here because we love this music. And now we have this bond, this thing that we've built. There are now four podcasts that I know of about this event that hasn't happened in two and a half years. People talk about it on Reddit and social media year-round. I don't know anything like it, really. I know there are other festivals and people like them and they talk about them, but this one gets in your your skin. The whole radiate positivity and the Bonnaroo code and treat people nice and be who you are, be who you want to be, all that stuff is very real. That's what I'm hearing the people tell us that listen to our podcasts and the people I know on the other podcasts. It's the same message from everybody across the country, all age groups. And for people who want to keep up on your podcast, where can they go? It's called The What Podcast. It's a terrible name. I know that. But the reason we call it that is Bonnaroo calls their stages the what, the which, this, that, and then the other tent. We never thought we would be around for more than three months, so it made perfect sense. And now it's going on six years. Kind of hard to change it at this point. In fact, we've expanded it to not just talk about Bonnaroo because it's become a year-round thing, like I said. Consequence Network picked us up, so we're part of their network. So they wanted us to be weekly and talk about other festivals, which we've done. So we always end up back about Bonnaroo, though. (laughs) It all comes back around to Bonnaroo. Pretty much. Barry Corder, thanks so much. Thank you, Ray.